Uh, here we go. Another day, another 50 cents, maybe. Uh, it's uh, Canadian. McCallan, it's Canadian. Shannon. What is that, 40 cents U.S., something like that? Something like that. I saw today that, um, or I heard today, that um, the projection is the Canadian dollar will hover around 80 cents for about a year and then probably go back to 76. I don't know what that means. I don't know that anybody's life is going to be changed by it. What are you, the Financial Times? What is this? Uh, I, the TV was on by accident, and I heard somebody babbling about it. By that. accident? You live alone. With good what, cause, too. Did you, did you sit on it or something? Did you sit on the remote? No, the re I know where the remote is at all times, even <laughs> when I'm asleep. I got news for you. Uh, so uh, plenty to talk about. All-Star Game uh, is tonight. The uh, Home Run Derby, whatever it's called. Yeah, the Home Run Derby. Uh, was last night. I usually yeah. hate it. I didn't hate it this year. It I, st to... I still don't. I, 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 there's too many graphics. I still understand it. Follow well, the ball, you know. Gah. But um, I'm old. I'm old, Bob. I'm old. We're, we're going to try and dissect that amongst other things. Uh, one of our favorite guests, Ray Ratto, will uh, join us and, from San Francisco, who has an opinion on everything and is, and is usually funnier than hell. And uh, I have to confess, and maybe it's his sense of humor, but I rarely find cause to disagree with him. And for some reason, he still likes coming on with us. I assume it's only because of you, John. I think so, too. Don't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> Ray Ratto, when we come back after these messages. It's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon for a uh, Tuesday. And um, here's our sure? buddy, our pal. Are you sure it's Tuesday? No, not at all. Okay. Okay. I'm, I have no real clue what day of the week it is anymore. <laughs> uh, Ray Ratto was with us um, of uh, Defector and uh, 95.7, the game in... Um, San Francisco Bay Area. Mr. Ratto, how are you? You look well. Oh, please. <laughs> I look like a bag of melted caramels, and we all know it. I, I didn't say you look good. I said you look well. well Those I are think two entirely different look, things, you understand. No, it's pretty much a single-circled Venn diagram. <laughs> I, I am the hot mess with ears I've always been. Uh, are you a fan of Thanks the baseball all-star game? Um. Not nearly as much as I used to be when it suddenly, when they expanded the, uh, the roster to include basically anybody who's played in the last 15 years, I'd lost a little bit for me. Uh, it lost a little more when, um, Bud Selig decided that it needed to have some sort of significance just because Joe Torrey and Bob Brenly used up all their, all their pitchers in eight innings. But, Given the number of fascinating young players that there are, even outside Shohei Otani, I think I'm starting to get back into it a bit. I mean, I liked watching the Home Run Derby last night, and I have detested that for years because it wasn't the usual suspects. It was mm -hmm. guys who had actually earned their way on, and they are new guys, which is one of the things I think that baseball has screwed up over the years is that they haven't figured out that Juan Soto is worth watching or that, you know, Ozzy Albies, who wasn't even there is worth watching. that there are young players who do stuff. And even given that baseball is more the true outcomes than ever, those young guys are keeping this game from becoming 
you know, cockfighting. Pete Alonso wins the um, home run derby for the second consecutive year and proclaims himself to be the best home run hitter in all of baseball. Uh, that's a rather arrogant uh, statement and yet to be proven. I think he's got 17 dingers this year, so he's well behind. He's about half of what Otani's got and behind Tatis and behind um, Guerrero. But as a guy who had 53 home runs as a rookie, um, who's he? He is he is he a, 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 a about to become a major star, or is he already simply because of his success at the home run derby? Well, he plays in New York, and he also knows how to play a crowd. So mm -hmm. I I don't take what he said as his actual beliefs because the math doesn't support it, as you say. But, I mean, it was interesting last night when he called a timeout before his last two swings to sort of gin up the crowd a little bit. So I think he's something of a showman, but 53 homers in a year is eye-opening. And when he can stay healthy, he's a guy you pitch around. So I think I'm going to let him have that one. You know, he may not be the best, but at a time when Rob Manfred is castigating other players for not promoting the game enough, he's promoting it granted for, a, you know, two generations after us, but mm. maybe that'll work. I mean, I, I thought it was short of a, eh, what the hell I'll say this. Let's see what happens. Well, you know, he's promoting the game. I, I, I would, I'm not disagreeing with you, but he's promoting himself. And, um, I have no issue with that because I think that's sort of what baseball is missing by comparison to the national football league, by comparison to the NBA is these is a big personality. Um, um, you know, an over the top ego, whatever we think of it on a personal basis, isn't that good for the game? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's more a testimonial to, baseball's you know great sense of humor about itself but only within the confines of of the team group what they need to do is show more fun and it's not necessarily a big personality that has to do that that said it would also sound stupid if he came out and said brandon nimmo is the greatest home run hitter in baseball you know yeah. so if you're going to promote yeah. somebody it might as well be you but i don't think he's doing it for commercial reasons I think he's doing it just, I mean, it struck me as funny. And like like watching Otani goof around with baseballs in the dugout, that's fun. Yeah. And I think one of the things that baseball has been aggressively doing for way too long is tamping down the sense of fun that this game can have. It has more idle time than any of the other sports. And, you know, I mean, I would put a camera in the bullpen, you know, in every game just to watch guys eat seeds or, you know, you know, have, have quizzes about, you know, who was the last great king of Albania or whatever they do. I mean, I just, agree. baseball is just, baseball hasn't been able to figure out a way to monetize fun. So it doesn't promote fun, but, it, in fact, but fun is value on its own. And they should be more amenable to that. It isn't always the issue. And, and the pitcher gets mad and there's a problem. Yeah. I think, I think that's a lot of it. It's, you know, bat flipping was an issue until Fernando Tatis said, well, I'm doing it anyway, and I'm hitting 26 home runs. So 
you know, why don't you trade me for some slick fielding shortstop? Go ahead. I dare you. Um, I think when uh, Tim Anderson sort of clapped back at Tony Larusa, you know, early on in the season when Tony was talking about the right way to play. I mean, the right way to play is to show joy while you're doing something well. That's the right way to play. And you can do it, you know, and if you do it sort of to show somebody else up, that'll take care of itself. But if you're doing it just because you're happy, I mean, that's got to be, you know, you, you've got to make that clear to everybody who ha- who's on the internet ever. It's just, you know, look, this guy just did a thing and he really enjoyed the hell out of it. Because I think fun is the most undervalued of products that a sport can deliver. I mean, one of the reasons why football's a drag is because they aggressively make it not fun. And fun to me is the stuff that they don't slap on their official websites because those are always laundered to make it look like, you know, you know, there, there's, mo- there's money to be had here. I think people like fun for its own sake and don't have to run to the website and then buy four shirts that say fun, hmm. you know, just organic. Um, do you think all, do you do you think the four, of the four major sports in North America, one does it better than the other? Is that the NBA? I don't know that the NBA. I mean, the NBA is better at selling fun, but the the best ambassadors for that are the four guys on inside the NBA, because for every person who complains that they don't do enough basketball analysis on the show, well, that's not what that show is. Right. It's a comedy show with basketball but the comedy is always going to be at the forefront. And I can't believe I'm the one saying this, but laughing is better than not laughing. And that's why that show has been on for 25 years. You know, I mean, I don't know if th- that there's an equivalent in any other sport. So I think in that way, the NBA is probably best, but they're clearing a pretty low bar. Well, we, we, we get, are going to be accused of being um, the old guy who says, get off my lawn. But this is a game that most people think is suffering and needs some revitalization in some way, shape, or form. You know, we all, we all have admired home run hitters. We just went up through the, the home run derby last night. That skill set is significant. But the, you know, we've, John and I have talked about this a lot. I'm intrigued by your perspective of it. The value of the base hit, the significance of a Guerrero hitting 340 at this point in the year, the memories of guys who have contested the 400 mark, those kinds of things are underappreciated um, by the baseball purists of the day i I long for a return to that the home run in 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 baseball is becoming boring to me i'm intrigued by what you think well i don't think it's the home run in and of itself that's boring i think it's the fact that it comes with record numbers of walks and record numbers of strikeouts because those three elements of the game do not show athletes doing athletic things and because all 30 men general managers all came from the same math class at MIT. (laughs) They all think the same way. So there's a level level of homogenization to the game that I think is stultifying. It's not just, it's not just the home run. 
it's the fact that nobody tries anything different and everybody tries to sign the same guys for the same reasons. Um, you know, the other thing that baseball has gotten wrong without really realizing it is that it became a game for math classes in general. Just, right. I mean, you know, they invented a, a raft of new stats which are not in and of themselves wrong. And in fact, in many ways can measure things about the game that haven't been measured before and good on it, but they've made every day into a math class. And if you can point five people out to me who enjoyed math in high school, I will show you six people that you don't want to drink with. It's just, you know, no, don't, I, I you know, if I wanted to know about baby, I can go to baseball reference. You know, don't tell me about it because my eyes will glaze over. And I think that's the other thing is that baseball, you know, for separate reasons, has gone away from the joy of the game. And to me, the joy of the game is going first to third on a single, you know, all the little stuff that actually does help you win games too. Uh, the bat flip, I think, is great. I mean, how, who do you, how do you not like that? You know, I mean, it just, it's, you know, that the old traditionalists were wrong in their way and the newfangled, you know, calculator heavers are, are the same way. It's just, there's gotta be more than one way to enjoy this. And if you can't see that, all you're doing is chasing away anybody who doesn't think the way you do. And God, is that awful? You know, I don't wanna be surrounded by people who agree with me. I don't wanna agree with me. So if you were the commissioner. yeah. What would you do? How do you repair whatever damage is done? How do you change this game? I mean, they talk about things like eliminating the shift. Um, to me, that doesn't... I'd be more interested if coaches general and general managers were looking for guys who could hit the ball the other way. Well, but uh, that's the point. The commissioner can't do anything. The commissioner works for the 30 billionaires. Of course. If I were the commissioner, the first thing I do is say, I want to be paid $100 million a year, $50 million from each side, and you can never fire me. Secondly, I'd want complete sort of power. No, I'd actually, I don't even need complete power because the real change in baseball won't be made by the commissioner or the owners anyway. It'll be made by the thinkers in the game who see the value in hitting the other way on a shift. I mean, nobody talks about this, but when everybody was up in arms about the Houston Astros and their cheating, the Washington Nationals figured out a way to change their signs enough times in the World Series in 2019 that they won all four games on the road. There were ways around every problem. You just have to be creative about it. And one of the things that baseball isn't right now is creative outside the mathematical norms that they've set up for themselves. True. So what you need is more mavericks and you can't sort of ordain those. You have to come up with you know, man, you know, general managers and managers and coaches who can rethink the game and then just do it and then have some success with it. Because this doesn't come top down, it comes bottom up. And that means retraining hitters in high school to stop worrying about launch angle. That means you know, teaching pitchers you know, to not fetishize spin rates, you know, because that's all math and that's all, you know, it's all stuff that, yeah, it solves today's problem, but it creates tomorrow's conundrum. 
and the conundrum is much harder to figure out. It cuts down the amount of mistakes in a game. And let's face it, the most exciting things happen when there are mistakes in a game, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, it's, I love the fact that while we're fretting about Trevor Bauer and, you know, strip searches, the best thing about the game this year has been Williams Astadio. You know, this catcher who's basically built like a portable refrigerator, mm. who three years ago was brought into a game that was hopelessly lost and threw like 31 fastballs and 32 pitches and got raked. So when they called him back to be a pitcher this year, all of a sudden he's throwing the EFAS ball. He went from like high 80s to high 40s and he's a better pitcher. You know, and the one time that he that he missed on a pitch, your mean Mercedes hit it to Europe, and the immediate reaction was, you know, your mean Mercedes showed up the game. No, he didn't. He took a comedic moment and he put it in the bleachers. Yeah. How was that not good? You know, and it's you know, even if he missed the sign, I don't care. Swing three and oh, the game is hopelessly gone. Have some fun with it. And I think that's how you fix baseball by players who can have fun and won't be sanctioned for it. And because fun creates more fun. I mean, it's gotta be organic. I mean, cause that's the way baseball changed for the worse. You know, it's a bunch of people who read Bill James religiously and followed all his principles to the point where those are the only people who get hired anymore. I mean, as much as, I mean, I don't, I'm not changing the subject here, but as goofy as Pierre Maguire being hired by the Ottawa Senators is, in a weird way, that's fun. It, it's probably going to turn out to be a flaming disaster, <laughs> but it'll be fun to watch the fire. You know, I mean, and and I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing that if I owned a team, but I I think I'm going to be more interested in the Senators this year, just to see if he can figure out how to trade three good prospects for you know for Kansas soda. You know, I want to see that. Well, perhaps you're giving Pierre a little too much credit for what his role is going to be. So <laughs> I, you know, I, I hope he I hope he doesn't get a chance to make a trade. I still hope it's Pierre Dorian. <laughs> well, you know, without making a judgment on Pierre Dorian, you never bring a big name guy into an organization if you aren't already thinking about making changes. Because that's the kind of hire that you make when you're dissatisfied. I'm bringing a guy that I would not normally hire because that's beneath my job as an owner. And I'm gonna make sure it's somebody I saw on television. That to me is fraught with danger that his, his immediate title does not suggest. Oh, that was my first reaction too. My first reaction oh. too, Ray. And, and, um, and Dorian has John, what, one year left on his deal? He has, a, he has a year left on his contract and I guess Pierre's signed a three-year deal. So you have to, I certainly hope that Eugene has been loyal enough to Dorian to have a two-year contract or an, an extension sitting in a drawer that's just waiting to be announced because Pierre Dorian's done all the heavy lifting and done a really good job there. So I, I love the way you burn with optimism's flame in the face. I'm always, listen, my, my problem, Ray, is that I, I'm always, I am that cup half full guy all the time and it drives McCowan crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, in fairness though, McCowan is a dark figure. Yeah, in fact, yes. I believe I believe on the back wall I see a sickle. No, well, no, it's even worse. Ohio State. <laughs> oh, oh, well, there you go. I mean, you you have a, that's a poison chalice with a neck. <laughs> uh, bite me, both of you. Um, 
Uh, That's not fun. See, you missed the point of the whole discussion. No, I get the whole point of the discussion. It's <laughs> it's slag the crap out of me for no particular reason. But you yeah, screwed that, up. But you showed up. That that's that's how you screwed this up. You're here. I've been doing it for 40 years, Rado, and um, and I will continue to do it until they kick me off the internet. Listen, which I, 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 if they can fire you off the internet, they can fire anybody anywhere. Yeah. Ray, I'm surprised you're not wearing one of those new uh, San Francisco Giants uniforms. Oh, my God. Um, the creamsicles. Well, the creamsicles. Well, they used to wear creamsicles. That's not the problem. The problem is they disappear about mid-chest. Yeah. I mean, they swept the Washington Nationals over the weekend, and I actually don't believe it happened because I only saw one-third of the players. You know, But the other thing about those uniforms that are detestable, it's that all the other uniforms of this of this you know, city connect ilk, they went to what people think of their own city. Like the White Sox uniforms are very much, you know, what people think of the South Side of Chicago, but the people who think it are the people who live in the South Side. The San Francisco uniforms are all tourist stuff as people imagine what San Francisco is as opposed to what San Francisco actually is. You know, the Golden Gate Bridge, eh. Only like 2% of it touches San Francisco. The rest of it, you know, stands up over water or sits in Marin. So that's not San Francisco. Um, the fog, that obscures San Francisco. Why are you doing that? You know, show Coit Tower, show the Tenderloin. You know, there's a hundred different things about San Francisco that San Franciscans get. And the, the even worse thing about those uniforms is not even the uniforms, is that Nike also put out a T-shirt that goes with it. And which says San Fran, which is more offensive to San Franciscans than even Frisco. So it means that they didn't get it, not only on the stuff that you see during games, but on the stuff they're trying to sell you. You know, I mean, you know, I guess it would be like saying, you know, hi, we're going to just call this pig town, even though nobody's ever done it. You know, well, you know, why? Why are you doing it? I mean, ask the people who live there what they think and then do it. I, it seems like Nike slapdashed this thing. They showed it to the Giants. The Giants said, fine, we don't care. We'll just take the money. And then you get this. It's, it's corporate think gone wrong again. Is it more offensive because the Giants have such a long history? And, I mean, and, it, I and it had a great uniform, Bob. Let's, the original Giants script, well, uh, like the, the font well, but, was spectacular. The okay. color scheme was spectacular. No names on the back were spectacular. It was a great uniform. The Giants, the Dodgers, the, the, sure. the, the, Yankees. the Yankees, the Red Sox. I mean, those, those are uniforms. That whatever you think they may not be, the traditional uniforms may not be modern in this sense, but they are uniforms that should be respected, I, I believe. So I'm more offended by San Francisco screwing around than I am by the Houston Astros or Arizona. Um, or, or somebody else. But they're not doing this either to honor or disrespect tradition. They're doing this to move product. It's the well, guy- Whatever the reason. The, no, but I mean, but that's why they thought up this idea to begin with because baseball's response to problems is always, I know we'll tart up the hat and we'll get people to buy that yeah. or we'll fix the uniform so that the completists can run out and do it. It's the same sort of, lockstep thinking that dogs them in all the other ways. It's, it's, a, it's a symptom of the bigger problem, which is that the thing that ails baseball 
is not that they don't have enough stuff to sell. It's that they've got, they've got a fun gap and that they've got to close that. They've got to make young people think, you know what, I just saw, I just saw Vladimir Guerrero, you know, have, have an inside the park triple mm-hmm. um, that he actually went back, retouched second and then went back to third because he's that fast. You've got to give them stuff that they're not used to seeing and you've got to give it to them with players. Like Toronto's a fascinating team. They've got guys who can, you know, they can hit all day. Oh, I mean, oh yeah. Guriel, um, Hernandez, Simeon. That's a team. That, I mean, I would watch that team all day, every day because they're fun, but they're not complete and they don't have to be. That's where baseball, you know, runs into trouble because they always think of the same solution to the same problem while never fixing the original problem and the uniform and putting out these new uniforms is part of that. It's not that it's an affront to tradition. It's just that it's the same thinking that it's always been. And that hasn't worked before and it's not working now. Well, I have watched this baseball team since 1977. I was a day one or with the, the Blue Jays organization and I will, and, and including the two world series, there is, uh, I enjoy watching this team right now this year more than any team, any Blue Jays team in history. And it's almost been 50 years. Even the pitching staff? Well, look at, as Ray said, it's not a complete picture yet. And maybe it never will be a complete picture. But these are young, talented guys having fun. The best shots we get to see, Ray, when we watch the Blue Jays play are the dugout shots where these guys laughing and tickling each other and like all that stuff is human and it makes them fun. And they, as you said, they can hit like crazy up and down that lineup. Now they can't pitch or at least their bullpen can't pitch right now, but in it's part of it is entertainment, right? You know, you want them to win, but, you really want to be entertained for three hours a night. Yeah. I mean, I, I picked the blue Jays cause you guys are in Toronto, but a friend of ours, his son is high up in the blue Jays baseball ops department. So I have sort of, it's not a rooting interest, but I have a fascination with them. Yeah. And they sort of never let you down. It's like, you're going to get something every day. Mm-hmm. And if they can figure out how to get a couple of pitchers, all of a sudden they can be the Houston Astros because the Houston Astros hit all day too. Only they got pitching. Right. Yep. And that's the difference. It's that, you know, that team, your team is not that far away and they're not a drag to watch. Sign me up for that every day. I'm, I'm good with that. You and me both pal. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, a little basketball chat. Ray Ratto is with us back after these messages. It's McCowan, it's uh, Shannon, and uh, Ray Ratto joins us from uh, the Bay Area. Well, it's been about, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks since the story broke, and I don't even know if it's a story or just somebody's a figment of somebody's imagination. Are the Warriors interested in Pascal Siakam? And are they prepared to deal uh, Wiseman and maybe um, their top first-round pick in order to get him? What do you think? Um, it's actually, that the rumors are always about Wiseman and both picks. Mm-hmm. And if it's an expensive guy, um, Andrew Wiggins to make the money work. 
But I think what that is mostly is the Warriors have a bunch of assets that aren't sort of unmovable. And so people are filling in different names because if it's not Siakam, it's, it's Damian Lillard. If it's not Damian Lillard, it's Ben Simmons. This is just people who are not covering the finals who need to basically feed the beast. I think the Warriors are fielding calls, but they're not making many. I mean, I think they're letting the market come to them. And I think ultimately they're not going to do anything. They're going to stand pat with what they have. Um, and it's not because they are absolutely convinced that that's the right thing to do. It's that the, the risk reward is too great to operate. Because if you put Wiggins in any deal, after the year he had for them, you can't make that up because he became a plus defender for the first year. Hmm. And he, he got what the Warriors are doing and was actually a, 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 a serious asset for them. And I think in the back of their minds, they are thinking if we get the seven pick right and Clay Thompson doesn't take all year to get back to 100%, we're a contender anyway. Whereas if you say trade him, tr trade this package for Ben Simmons, you have a guy that in all likelihood you can't play at the end of games. And if it's Siakam, you know, I think they look at, um, I think they look at a guy like Weissman and say, if we develop him right, he can be a much younger and less expensive version of Siakam. I think their, I think their instinct is, is to listen, but not act. Is the core of the Warriors, is, is that core still good enough to compete against? Well, right now, I guess we're going to say Phoenix and the Lakers and the Clippers. Um, I think Curry certainly is. Uh, Green is if you're just looking at his defense and passing because he's still a minus, you know, in terms of point production. Um, Wiggins is a very useful fourth player. Um, they don't have a third yet and they've got to figure They've got to determine when, when Thompson will be back at a hundred percent because it's not going to be at the start of the year. Right. And, you know, without knowing when that's going to happen, whether it's going to be December or or February or, or the end of April. Um, they, there are questions they have that they can't answer yet, but I think they know, you know, pretty much that with Curry on the roster, they can fake it long enough to stay close until Weissman fully develops. Even that, even if that takes two years, um, if the, if the, if the seven and 14 picks turn out to be something, um, they have ways to get better without doing anything. And I think they're probably just going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be in a wait and see mode, both on Weissman and, and Thompson and figure it out from there. Because I don't think they can answer any of those material questions right now. And by right now, I mean the start of the season. Well, health has always been an issue. Um, you know, it dates back to the before, but certainly the uh, finals against the Raptors. You know, health determined that the Toronto Raptors were going to win the NBA championship. Certainly for Clay Thompson, it did. Absolutely. Well, and well, health determined a lot of how they won in 2015 because all the other teams they played had injuries. I mean, that's true. The one thing about the NBA is that it, more and more it's becoming a game of attrition, which is the which is the worst thing to have because it means that a lot of important players aren't playing and they're not entertaining. And this this year. 
you know, I don't know what the final math will show, but every team except Phoenix has lost an important cog to injury at some point during the postseason. And one of the reasons why they're here now is because they've pl- they've stayed healthier than everybody else. But you would admit they are, um, you know, and I've been pointing to Phoenix for a long period of time. But they're um, a different structure of team, right? Well, they're very good, and they've done it in a in a sort of non traditional way uh, because they haven't really gone out there and loaded up with front end talent. They went and got one guy who was near the end of his career and had never won a championship. You know, they basically built from within in a more traditional way. But they stayed healthy enough so that you could see all that. I agree. Other That's mm. the point. I it's agree. There, there are there are other teams that are built really well, but they didn't have you know, all their guys at the end. And you know, I and I'm not dogging Phoenix in any way because I think they're every bit as interesting as you're you're implying they are. But they've had their guys, that, and you could see them. You, know, you could watch them night after night in the postseason. Go, oh, that's why they did that. That's why that guy's good. I mean. If Jay Crowder goes down at any point, all of a sudden they look a whole lot different, you know, or Cameron Payne can't play, Mm. you know, or, or DeAndre Ayton can't. I mean, if they lose a key component, they're like everybody else. Of course. Interesting, but, but, you know, with a flaw. And the only point I'm trying to make is that this year, they're the ones who haven't been ravaged by injury. So they've gotten to show all their assets. Uh, does does this playoff run uh, cement Chris Paul's place in basketball lore? If he gets a ring, there's no more complaints about the thing he doesn't have. And I realize that when people talk about legacies, they're all they're they're not looking for the things you do; they're looking for the things you didn't do. And if he's got a parade on his resume at the end, what what do you have to complain about? He couldn't fix the Clippers, you know. He wasn't a good enough New Orleans Hornet. Um, I think everything about his game has been exemplary, except for his choice of teammates. And that he doesn't have any control over. But if you want to, to look at what he's doing this year, the other thing he's doing is he's making a market for the mid-range jumper again mm-hmm. that everybody else seems to want to abandon. And that there are huge holes on a basketball court now that can be exploited by the right guy. And he is among the very few guys in the NBA that is willing to be that guy. And so I think that's also gonna to be to his credit. But if he wins it, there's 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 nothing left to complain about except that he does bad ads. <laughs> uh, if, if Phoenix does prevail, is there a philosophical change in the way basketball teams are put together? Because we know, and, and you can't say this generically, I get it. There are only a handful of teams that can go out and, and get the superstars and put them together and try and do this. Um, that Brooklyn has tried to do it this year is not, not shocking because they have the financial resources to be able to do it. And they're in, in New York. So, and the Lakers are not surprising. Milwaukee has done it to a smaller extent, but they've done it as well. Phoenix really hasn't. You can go out and buy guys and say, you know, come play here. Does it change? As, as often happens in sports, we've seen it over and over again, Ray. The, you know, follow the monkey. You know, yeah. uh, no, does, it, it, does it happen here? No, 
And the reason why it doesn't happen here is that eventually um, Booker and Aiton are going to have to be paid. And right. all of a sudden, now you've got the same dynamic there. Yeah. Um, the, the things that they do uh, schematically are things that other teams do, but they have guys who can do it and a coach who can convince them that that's the best way to play. If you want to look at the thing that most changed the Suns that wasn't Chris Paul, it was that Aiton went from being a bad draft choice to being a very good one because he just changed the way he viewed his role on the team. He stopped being the guy who wanted to take an 18-footer, and he started being the guy who was providing the services that the Suns didn't have anywhere else. So all of a sudden he went from being a big guy who doesn't play big to a big guy who plays very big. Yeah. And one of the great flaws in Phoenix's structure is that if he goes down, they don't have a way to replace him. Right. So in that way, I mean, they are like every other team. Um, but, you know, basketball has been built on buying stars and assembling them on one team since Wilt Chamberlain went to the Lakers and yeah, left. I guess you're right. Yeah. So, so this is, this is a time honored way to do it. You know, the trick is to figure out how to make sure that a, you stay healthy, which is largely luck and B how you can sign the four through eight guys with minimal money, but make them be real contributors. Cause that's how you win championships. Yeah. You know, three great guys or two great guys and a crap load of depth. Hey, how, Ray, I got to tell you, you're doing afternoon radio in San Francisco. There's one game in five days in the NBA finals. How do you, how do you create interest when you, when you go from Sunday to Saturday and play one game between that's gotta be, that's gotta be tough on everybody. Uh, no, cause there's other stuff going on there. You can never go broke, you know, relying on the stupidity of billionaires. <laughs> I mean, God will always provide subject matter. Um, I mean, we killed a bunch of time yesterday with the euros, the euro final. Yeah. There's lots to talk about if you're willing to go outside the big three or in, if you include hockey, the big four, I mean, there, there's stuff to talk about. It's just, you know, if you are, if you run a show that's dependent on the result of the game, yeah, you're going to, you're going to struggle. So basically you got to wander out in the woods and wrestle a bear now and then, you know, just lick her up and face the music. <laughs> well, we'll leave you to do that. It's a little early in San Francisco for that, but um, it's never, never too early. All right. What do I know? <laughs> Again, go out in the woods, wrestle the bear. That's why God what? made supermarket gin. I'll go out in the woods with a camera right behind you and watch you wrestle the bear. And then I'll sell the video. Um, well, you've Mr. always been a bit of a voyeur. Well, Oh, let's not go there. Please. <laughs> Truth might hurt. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Rado, it's always our pleasure. We thank you uh, very much for your time. Uh, stay well and, uh, and safe, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll bug you somewhere down the road. Thank you, pal. I'll be here. I have nowhere to go and nothing to do. I know that, and uh, we're the same now. <laughs> uh, Ray Rado in uh, the Bay Area. We'll come back to wrap it after these messages. Well, he had plenty to say, and as usual, Ray Rattle was um, full of opinions. Yes. You know, it's, it, it's always fascinating uh, when somebody comes on 
I, I can see it even through your sunglasses. You just sit back and let them speak. Let them go. And Ray just went and we both well, sat there and talked. We, we listened more than we talked. Well, that should be the role. Like if the guy will talk and it's even marginally interesting, there's no point interrupting. Yeah. No. And I never know what's going to come out of Rado's mouth. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm generally amazed um, at his perspective. I don't always agree with it, but a lot of the time, a lot of the time he makes sense. Well, and, and the one thing, he, and he, you know, he touched on it in terms of what should happen in baseball. Ray makes talking about sports fun. He, he just does. makes it fun. It's not, it, and, and it, he quite, he simplifies things really well. I think pretty straightforward. Well, um, I always look forward to having him on always, every single time. And um, if it were up to me, he'd be on the, that short list of guys that we'd have on uh, more often. But we respect the, his time and energy and yeah. uh, for him to get up at crack of dawn and uh, be on the Crack of dawn. It was 9 a.m. there, Bob. It was what? 9 a.m. It's Ray Ratto. I'm, I'm guessing he doesn't get up at, at 6 or 5, you know. <laughs> the bars don't close till late. Do the bars close in San Francisco? I, 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 you know what, you know this, I, I've never been to San Francisco. Can you believe what? that? Oh, I've never been. <laughs> I, honeymooned in San, I, I honeymooned in San Francisco. It was great. One of the places I, well, that was uh, great for you and not so good for Mickey. Um, I, I, it's one of the places on my bucket list of, uh, that I, that I want to get to. And I don't know why I haven't been, you know, I lived in Vegas all those years. Now, mind you, it's an eight hour drive up to San Francisco, but uh, never made it. And uh, at some point, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to knock on Ray Ratto's door. You can actually fly there. You don't have to drive. You can fly. Even from Toronto. You know that. Huh? Well, I could have flown from Vegas, too. But it was, yeah. you know, I actually minutes. considered going, taking the Pacific Coast Highway. But then you have to go, then you have to go all the way, like, on 10, on to Barstow, and then into the city. I, and I know how up. to get there, John. Come on. That's yeah, too far. Well, but I, I made that drive. I went into L.A. regularly. I just didn't, and I kept saying, "I'm one of these times going to drive to L.A. and then take the 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 PCH all the way up to San Francisco because I hear it's a spectacularly beautiful drive." It's a day like It's long. It's long. That's my point. And and then you get to San Francisco and you can look around there, and that'll be fun. And then maybe since you're there, you might as well go to Napa. And then the next thing you know, it's two weeks. (laughs) Napa, Napa, and Sonoma are uh, tough to beat. I'll well, tell Sonoma you that. I've done. Yeah. Well, if you've been to Sonoma, you've been to San Francisco, haven't you? Well, not really. Oh. How did you get to Sonoma from San Francisco? Well, it's a long story. Don't ask. Uh, we got to go. And oh. uh, we're back tomorrow. Do you want to tell everybody who's with us tomorrow? Buck Martinez tomorrow. A little right. more baseball. We got to get our baseball fill as the, as the second half starts. Well, it's the all-star break. It's a, an appropriate time to discuss. Um, yeah. I think we know the Blue Jays are going to be uh, buyers, if possible, not sellers. But will they be able to patch the holes in this team? We'll talk and, about it tomorrow. And maybe, maybe even play games in Toronto by the end of the month. Uh, we will see you tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody.